Welcome to Top of Mind, the show where we talk to real estate industry insiders and experts about the biggest trends impacting the market today. Enjoy the show. Mike Simonson here. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome to the Top of Mind podcast. This is where I talk to the smartest leaders, thinkers, and doers in the real estate industry. For a couple of years now, we've been sharing our latest market data every week in our weekly video series. With the new Top of Mind podcast, we're looking to add some context to the discussion about what's happening in the market from the leaders in the industry. Each week, Altos Research tracks every home for sale in the country. All the pricing, supply and demand, we analyze all that data and we make it available to you before you see it in the traditional channels. People desperately need to know what's happening in the housing market right now. It's been so hot and so competitive, and suddenly maybe the landscape's changing. So, and when people ask me, Mike, can I get the data for my local market? The answer is yes. Visit altosresearch.com for free consultation on and how you can use market data in your business with your buyers and sellers right now. So without further ado, let me introduce my guest today. I'm thrilled to have Austin Allison. Austin co-founded Picasso to make the dream of second home ownership a reality for more people. Picasso is Austin's second startup. In 2009, he founded Dotloop, a company that, that created software to seamlessly manage real estate transactions. Zillow acquired Dotloop in 2015, and Austin continued to run Dotloop as a Zillow executive until 2018. Austin started selling real estate at the age of 18 and worked in residential and commercial real estate for a decade. And I remember some of the very early Dotloop conversations we had, Austin, a long time ago, 14, 15 years ago. So welcome. I'm glad to have you on the Top of Mind podcast. Thank you so much, Mike. It's really great to be here and good to see you again. Nice to see you. Okay, so for for the listeners who don't know Picasso Homes, why don't you give them a... Yeah, absolutely. So Picasso provides a service that enables people to own a second home for one-eighth the cost. And we do that through this, this category that we're, we're kind of pioneering that we describe as co-ownership, which basically means that a small group of people can co-own a home together, except for Picasso manages the entire experience. So the easiest way to get your mind around it, Mike, is imagine if you and three or four of your best friends or family members decided that you wanted to own a home somewhere. You could go do this on your own. You could form your own LLC. You could find the home. You could buy it, hire a property manager. That's essentially how Picasso works, except for we, we sort of handle all the details from start to finish. So it just makes the co-ownership experience easier and more seamless for, for all the parties involved. And the reason why we created the company is to make second home ownership accessible for more people. You know, I, I grew up in a small town north of Cincinnati, Ohio. My dad was a carpenter and we lived paycheck to paycheck. And I mentioned that because I was like most families who didn't have a second home. I just dreamed of owning a second home. And along the way, when my wife and I, my wife, Angela and I were, were able to become second homeowners, it just totally, you know, enriched our lives. That privilege of being able to own a home in and of itself is a, is a massive opportunity and, and a gift, but to be able to own a second home is, is is, you know, it's life-changing. And I wanted to find a way to make that possible for more people. That's great. I totally get it. And, and 
I've seen, so, so you said one eighth, so you're going in with eight people. On yeah. So you can buy a minimum of one eighth, but many people will buy more than that, right? It, it depends on how often you plan to use your second home. Now, the reason why we start with one eighth is that's about how much the typical second homeowner uses their home. So in, independent of co-ownership, if you were to just survey whole second homeowners, what you'll find is that the average second home is used about five or six weeks per year, which is about one eighth of the time. So that's our sort of entry point. But if you plan to, or have the means and ability to use the second home more than that, you can buy more. You know, I, I just talked to one of, one of our clients a couple of weeks ago, I was looking at our, our sales reports and I noticed that the same person bought four different Picassos in four different locations all in the same week. And I'm like, wow, you know, we, we don't see that. We do see people buy multiple fairly often, but it's rare to see somebody buy four separate units and four homes in the same week. So I picked up the phone and I, I called this individual and he's a family in Chicago and him and his family wanted to get out of the Chicago winters where it gets cold and windy. And, but they couldn't, you know, justify owning uh, a home that they would only use, you know, less than half the time. So they used Picasso to be able to own a couple of different homes and really live that, that, that second home life, be part of uh, a second community, meet a second group of friends, but without the overhead and, and, and expense and hassle associated with whole home ownership. It just, it's hard. Unless you're going to use a home more than six months a year, it's really hard to justify owning all of it. And then it's also wasteful. You know, every home that's sitting empty is, is bad for the environment. It's bad for the community. It drives up home prices because that's, that it further constrains supply. So, you know, we're just focused on helping people make better use of homes and in a more sustainable way. And, and it has the effect of making it accessible to more people. That's really cool. And I'm very interested in the efficiency part of that discussion. So you said that the typical second home is six weeks a year, is used six weeks a year, five to six weeks a year. Have you observed, so part of that is that it's Christmas, it's spring break week, that some of those 4th of July week are the big weeks. Have you observed that with Picasso, the homes are used 90% of the year or something like that? Can you actually measure utilization density going up? Yeah, absolutely. And, and just to clarify one thing, for some people, 4th of July and Christmas or New Year's, you know, are the big dates, but not for everyone. You know, I, I use my wife and I as an example. The two biggest weeks in Lake Tahoe are 4th of July and New Year's. I mean, there are no homes or hotels available on those two weeks. It's fully occupied every single year. But my wife and I have never been to Lake Tahoe. We've owned there since you know 2013, and we've never been to Lake Tahoe on, on Christmas or, or 4th of July that I can remember, nor do we intend to go there on those holidays. That's just not our thing. We prefer to be there in the shoulder season, right, where there's less traffic, you know, shorter lines. We can get into restaurants without having reservations and stuff like that. So everybody travels a little bit differently. And, and the more diverse the group of owners is in a particular home, the less travel conflict you have right out of the gate. You end up getting some people that like the winter, some people that like the summer, some people that like the shoulder season, some people that like the peak, you know, some people don't celebrate, you know, Christmas, other people do. So the more diversity you have in the ownership group, the less conflict there is right out of the gate. But to answer the other part of your question around utilization, 
you know, our homes are highly utilized. Once, once a home gets, gets put into service, meaning once it's fully sold, they're utilized just under 90% of the time, which is incredible. I mean, that's six to seven times as much as, as a normal second home. And it really occupies like a primary home where the people are, the owners are using the home year round. And there's a couple of reasons why that's important. You know, one is, is the accessibility that we talked about before. Like when you're only buying an eighth or a quarter of the home, it, it lowers the price of entry and also the operating cost. But the other big benefit is that, you know, one of the, one of the big problems for second home destinations is that during the shoulder season, the local economy really struggles. The local bars, coffee shops, markets, you know, the, the ski resorts, the, the bicycle shops, whatever the case may be, you know, those businesses really struggle during the shoulder season when people aren't there to support the businesses year round. Picasso owners support businesses year round, right? And that is a really, really important piece because when you're supporting the local coffee shop, that local coffee shop can employ a barista and that barista can you know, spend money at other businesses or hire babysitters. And that's really what makes the economic cycle turn in an economy, in a local economy. And having homes utilized by owners is one of the best things that you can do to keep a local economy healthy. The other reason why it's really important, Mike, is, you know, you, you know about housing data, you know, as good or better than, than anyone in our industry. So you know very well that you know, we're in the middle of a housing crisis in most markets right now, an affordability crisis where home prices have appreciated at a level and continue to appreciate at levels that are unsustainable. So if you're a, you know, a primary, like a local worker that, that is trying to buy a primary home in one of these markets, it's almost impossible to be able to afford a home. And one of the reasons why it's so difficult to afford a home is you have second home cash buyers coming into these towns, buying median price homes, taking away more supply from the local workforce, driving up houses even further. Picasso has the effect of actually alleviating that pressure because we're, we're empowering people who would have bought a five or $600,000 home to buy a four or $5 million home with Picasso. So we're actually redirecting demand away from the median tier into the luxury tier alleviating pressure at on the you know on that that median price tier which is really good for everyone so long-winded way of saying yes these homes occupy like primary homes not like typical secondary homes and that's good for everybody it's good for the environment it's good for the community and it's it's good for um housing affordability so lots to to unpack there let's start with the fact that you know your kid's only a year or two old You've got a, in a few years, you're going to have about a 15 year window when your only vacation time are the, are peak days. (laughs) Then you're going to switch into that mode. And then, but, but, you know, you and the dog and the kid are going to go, you know, you're like, well, we can get out for this spring break week. Let's go. So, so, so that's, so I I love the, you know, where you have eight buyers who are going to buy in Tahoe or buy in, they were going to buy their houses in Napa and now they can buy one house and leave the 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 more common space open. Right. Tell me about how when we're buying when people are buying a home together there's all kinds of you know nuances to that. Do I come with my seven friends or like how do we get to that diversity? How does that typically work? So you absolutely can come with your 
you know, seven friends or fewer, if you all want to own more than an eighth, absolutely. We'd, we'd help you with that. But most of the time it doesn't work that way. Most of the time you might have one or two owners or maybe two or three, I guess you can't have one owner that knows him, him or herself, but it's not uncommon to see two or three owners that know each other in a home. But you know, oftentimes there's there's people who are meeting through Picasso, right? Where Picasso is part of the service that we're providing is enabling people to connect, right? We're 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 sort of aggregating demand, I guess, is, is one way to think about it by making this service available. Uh, so you don't have to self-organize and know the other owners to get onto the platform. And the service that we're providing is encompassing of really all aspects of, of managing and operating the home, everything from designing the property to repairing things when they break to even paying bills on behalf of owners. So that as an owner, you just get to show up at your home, enjoy the home. And when you leave, you don't have to worry about, you know, all the other hassles and headaches that are customary of home ownership. Yeah, so, water heaters going out or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, so we pretty much handle everything soup to nuts. What I, I forgot, what was the other part of your question? I lost my train of thought. So I'm thinking about like, you know, so now we bought and we've got questions, we've got things about like, you know, about I'm interested in the liquidity. So like, uh, yeah, how do you buy? How do you sell? Is that what, what how's that yeah. end up working out? Yeah. So, I mean, the, it, it pretty much transacts just like a normal you know, home. I mean, there's there's only one difference, which is that the other owners have a right of first refusal for when you go to sell. But Picasso is is effectively like the property manager that's facilitating this experience. And we work with with we try to work with real estate agents on every transaction that we can. You know, sometimes buyers will come unrepresented by agents, but but uh, you know, often oftentimes they they come represented by agents and we pay full commissions, you know, even in markets where the standard co-op commission is only two or two and a half percent, we always pay a full 3% and we make the process very easy for our real estate agent partners. We try to make it as easy as a referral. So any extra, you know, questions or, or work related to the co-ownership model, we handle that on behalf of our agent partners. So we make it really easy and it transacts just like a normal home. So as a as an owner of a of a Picasso, let's say you bought your Picasso for $500,000 and then a year from now you decide you want to sell, you just pick your price. I mean, we'll provide guidance on what we think it's worth, but ultimately, just like a normal home listing, you pick your price and if there's support for that price in the market, you know, you can sell. But ultimately, if there's not support for that price in the market, then then you'll you'll have to adjust your price. But so far, all of any of the resales that have happened through Picasso have resold in less than 10 days for greater than 15 percent uh, more than what they paid a year prior. So it it pretty much tracks the underlying real estate. And again, the only difference is that the other owners in the ownership group have a right to buy the before it goes to the open market. And so then I just list it with a realtor, like I would list oh, my house, I'd list my one Picasso. HM. Oh, you, you list, list it with Picasso. Picasso. Yeah, exactly. And, and but I'm listing my one A share on Picasso, my Picasso share on Picasso. Yep. And then, we, you know, we're, we're, we participate in the MLS just like everybody else. So the units get syndicated to all the other, you know, real estate websites and the portals and all that good stuff. 
Yeah, cool. Do you, do you? Oh, I lost my question on the the. So we're selling them, we're listing them on the on Picasso. Man, I can't. I had a good had the next follow up. I was thinking about. Okay, well, let's talk Figure about um, the the. Let's talk about that. You talked mentioned like five million dollar homes. Yeah, like four or five million dollar homes. Is that what you're buying? Oh, I know what the question was. The question was: Is Picasso ever taking? Uh, capital risk. Are is Picasso ever buying a chunk of these homes because we've yeah. got three buyers, but we don't have the other five yet? Yeah, that and that's an important part of the service that we're providing. You know, like if 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 you and two of your friends want, wanted to do this on your own and and find some other buyers, like there's a lot of things that need to come together. You know, to to sort of make the process seamless. So. You know, one of those things is securing the property and, and furnishing it and designing it and all that stuff. And we handle all that. And we do buy the now generally the property will be pre-sold to some level before we end up closing. And then we hold a portion of the property for a period of time as we're selling through the remaining interest. And then once you once the, the property is fully sold through, we retain no ownership. You and your small group of owners, you know, you could have as little as two owners in a home in scenarios where two people buy 50% or as many as eight owners in a home. You know, typically we'll see, you know, five or six because a couple of people will buy a quarter. But once the home is fully syndicated, the owners own 100% of the property and Picasso is just a property manager. Neat. And so, okay, so now let's shift into the the four or five million bucks. Is that the price range that, that we're doing? I suppose for Second homes, if I was going to be buying a $500,000 second home in in a beach town in Florida or someplace, then I, and I'm buying one eighth of a bigger house, I'm buying 4 million. Is that, is that how you guys think about it? Yeah. Our, our sweet spot today is, is four to 5 million for the whole home price for sure. Call it four to 6 million, I would say. And, but it, it varies by market. So the way to think about it is the multiple on median price. So okay. we're typically two to four times the median price in a market. We're not buying median price homes. You know, we're not com- competing with the local school teacher, you know, for homes. We're always buying luxury homes, but the, the price point aligns with the market. Like where I'm at right now, I'm in Scottsdale. You know, I don't know what the median is here, but I'm guessing the median's, you know, probably five or $600,000. So in Scottsdale, our price point might be, Assuming the median is five or six hundred thousand dollars, our range would be caught one point two to you know three or four million at the oh. high end. Whereas other markets like median uh, price in, the median price in Scottsdale is one point six million. Is it really? Yep, right now. Wow. Oh, okay. I didn't realize prices had gone up that much in Scottsdale. Wow. Well, I'm glad I'm talking to a real estate expert. Really? 1.6? No, yeah. that can't be. Across yeah. all Scottsdale? Yep. Wow. It's, that's it's, insane. You know, that's, we're, uh, that's a big number. It's a big number. And, and, uh, you know, there's a lot fewer on the market than there usually is. Although it's starting to What's climb. The median in Phoenix. In Phoenix? Yeah. Let's look. Maybe that's why I was thinking. I think about Scottsdale and Phoenix as one market. That's similar. They're very different, right? But, yeah. uh, so Scottsdale or Phoenix is, is 540. Yeah. That's what I would have guessed. Okay. So anyway, in a market like Phoenix, our range would be, you know, one point something to maybe 3 million. But in a market like a Scottsdale, right, where the, the median's 1.5, we're going to be 3 million bucks 
and above. You know, like the first house we brought on in Scottsdale was $4 million as an example. So it's always a multiple of the median price in the market and it's always luxury, you know, in that market. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Okay, so always luxury. So it is luxury second homes, but but like being uh, more accessible. Yeah, yeah. And the reason, I mean, there's a few reasons why we, we care so much about the luxury uh, price point. I mean, one is we just care a lot about, you know, society. We care a lot about community. We care a lot about housing affordability. And, you know, it, it wouldn't be, I don't think it would be good for the world if we were competing, you know, with with school teachers for median price homes. You know, yeah. that would that would contribute to housing the the housing affordability crisis in a negative way in my opinion. But when you can redirect demand, this luxury demand into a different tier, you know, I, I'm a little less worried about driving up the price of 4 million dollar homes. You know what I mean? Like if 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 you have the means to to buy a four million dollar home, like if if prices are appreciated at that level, like sorry about your luck. I'm I'm much more concerned about protecting the median price tier to ensure that people who need primary homes have a shot, you know, at getting their primary home as opposed to what's happening today, where they're competing with all these second home cash buyers. But the second reason why you know our business model is focused on the, the luxury tier is because one of the benefits of co-owning a home is that it supercharges your buying power. You know, the family that could have only afforded a half a million dollar home before can now afford a $4 million home. And if given the choice, you know, if you go into a market like Scottsdale, where the median is 1.5, you know, what you're going to get for half a million dollars is very different than what you get for 4 million, right? So if given those two choices, most people would pick the $4 million home so it sort of naturally elevates the, the price point that, that people can participate in. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, one analog that people often use when they're talking about Picasso is carpooling. You know, if, if you think about what housing affordability problems are and relate that to traffic, and you think about carpooling and relate that to co-ownership, would you rather have eight empty SUVs, gas guzzling SUVs driving down the highway or one fuel efficient SUV holding eight people. Of course, you'd rather the fuel efficient SUV. It'd be lower cost for everybody. You'd have less pollution, less traffic. And by sharing the cost of the vehicle, you know, you might be able to afford a $200,000 SUV as opposed to a $50,000 SUV, right? When you're, when you're sharing the cost. So it's, it's just a more efficient model for everybody, for the owners, but also for, you know, housing at large, because we're making better use of stock that would have otherwise housing stock that would have otherwise been sitting vacant for 10 months per year, because that's the norm for second home owners. Yeah, that's really terrific. Let's shift gears. Let's talk about the future. Let's talk about what you see in the future, both in, in the market that Picasso is focusing on now, but, but also bigger picture, like like you've been in the in the the core of the real estate technology world for a long time so tell me what you see is happening things that like trends that consumers might care about or you know shift in the market tell, tell me what you see in the future yeah absolutely i mean i think the biggest shift that we're seeing and and it might be the biggest shift because this is closest to our business so it's something we think about and see and experience every single day but the biggest shift is is definitely the work from home shift 
I mean, there are millions and millions and millions of additional families now that have more flexibility. Flexibility to work from home, either part-time or full-time. And that flexibility has empowered people to rethink how and where they live and work. And more people are migrating to new locations that previously weren't practical. You know, second home markets are, are one of the most obvious places where people are migrating. Like if you were stuck in a city, a cold, windy city, gloomy city before, and now you have the opportunity to work from anywhere and you've always dreamed about, you know, living by the water or living by the mountains or living in the desert, you know, where the weather is warmer or even living in a different state where maybe taxes are more favorable or whatever the case might be, you now have that flexibility. So people are moving around. And what that moving around is, is doing is it's really creating a lot of imbalances between supply and demand. Like in second home markets where this is most pronounced, you have this permanent shift in new demand people that are going to these places that previously weren't really practical as primary home locations and just not enough supply. And it's, it's, there's no way, there's really no way for supply that I can see to catch up with demand in these locations, new constructions too expensive. The labor shortage is real. The cost of materials is going up. Zoning is very restrictive. Land is locked and restricted in many of these places. So there's just it's it's hard to see a scenario where we're going to be able to build our way out of this problem that we're faced in many of these markets. So I think that one of the biggest sort of movements that needs to continue to play out to, to mitigate some of these problems are making better use of existing resources. So obviously, we've already talked about co-ownership as one in the second home space. All these empty homes, you know, some of these markets have 50% of their homes occupied by second homeowners. Right. So you're talking about 50% of homes in some of these markets are sitting vacant for most of the year. That is a shame. You know, that is a waste. And that's contributing to the problem. So that's one thing that we can do is make better use of empty homes. Another thing that we can do is make better use of empty yards. So, like in California, the accessory dwelling unit is often referred to as an ADU, is a pretty innovative movement that's been happening for a while that I think is really starting to to take off. Like the state of California just passed within the last year, they passed a new rule, or I get maybe it was the last two years, I can't remember exactly, a new rule that made it essentially required, you know, that 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 municipalities support the development of ADUs in in certain types of properties, which means that people can now take vacant yards put units on those vacant yards and turn them into rentals, which creates more affordable housing stock for you know, local workers, which I think is great. California also did something, and I'm just using California as an example because that's the state I'm most familiar with. Other states are doing similar things, but California also just passed this law that's pretty controversial in, in certain communities called SB9, which enables previously... And I'm just sort of, I may not be completely accurate in the way that I'm describing this, but basically the gist of how I understand it is it takes a single family, you know, parcel and it is enables it to be used as a multifamily parcel, right? So you can get more density out of the same resources that we had in the past. And if you just zoom out and look back over the last couple hundred years at how we evolve as a society, you know, you know, as things get more dense and populated, it's important that we make better use of resources. So like a couple hundred years ago, if you were to look at many of these towns that are now inhabited by lots of people, they were just farms, 
You know, they were just empty farms. And then over time, far, as density and population rolls into a particular area, as demand grows, farms turn into subdivisions. Eventually enough density grows, you know, and we start to be landlocked and we build up. And that's how cities are formed. And, and you, so we're in a place now in a lot of these markets where we're just like constrained and there's more demand than supply. And we have to figure out how to deal with that in a more sustainable way. And the most obvious way in my mind is to make better use of underutilized you know, assets. So that's definitely the biggest movement that we're seeing that, that we think is you know, just getting started and here to stay. There's a bunch of other really innovative things that are happening in the real estate world that are kind of outside of you know, my realm, but that I'm excited about modular construction and prefab sustainable you know, construction methodologies, I think are very interesting. And there's a lot of cool companies that I've heard about recently that are doing stuff in that space. I think anything around like virtual touring, virtual staging, you know, different types of photography innovations that make it easier for people to buy and experience homes and locations remotely. I think that's super interesting and and still ripe for lots of innovation and and improvement, even though we've come a long way. Are you guys using the, some of those te- the innovations at Picasso? Yeah, I mean, like we use, which has you know been around for a while now, and we do some some virtual staging stuff, but we're not doing nearly enough. I mean, I I think I mean a lot of people are buying Picassos now without without visiting the home in person, but not nearly as many as I would expect. You know. Like with all the technology that's available today, I'm surprised that 50% of our owners aren't buying sight unseen. You know, it's like, there's, there's so much technology out there that you can really create an experience online that enables you to get a feel for definitely the home, but also the neighborhood and, you know, what it's like to be in that home. And, but uh, I mean, I think everybody's still just in the early stages of trying to to get this experience right and and take advantage of all the the technologies that are available to get it right because we're not there we're not there yet a lot yeah of people- yeah that's really interesting so only a small chunk of of your buyers are buying just from the website yeah yeah I I don't know what the per- I haven't really tracked the percentage but it's pretty small I'd say it's like twenty percent or less mm-hmm. but it, it should it should be fifty percent it yeah it really that's should. really interesting and. Let's see what what are the things that I might be interested in in order to help me make that decision. Some of it is the being in the space, and I know when I bought my second home, I bought my house in Tahoe. I looked at twenty five homes before I bought that place. Like, yep. and I, you know, I, I wanted to see the right one. I wanted to see, you know, like that is the driveway too steep? Because if it's too steep, I'm not, you know, you can't get in in the winter. Like those kind of things. So some of those things are really hard to capture, even if your Matterport 3D tour is very nice. Yep. I don't think they should be so hard to capture though. I mean, the technology exists, right? Like, I mean, even something as simple as a FaceTime with your real estate agent. I know that's kind of, you know, old school by today's standards, but if, if, if I'm on a, and and I do that. We do this often, where you know one of our real estate agent partners will be touring a property that we're looking at or that our clients are looking at. And I mean, you could get a, a great feel for pretty much everything that you would want to know. I mean, from 
you know, how close the neighbors are to what the slope of the driveway is to the traffic on the street. Like you can capture a lot of that from a simple FaceTime. So just to use that as an example, I, I think there's a, a lot more that we could do to, to create amazing online experiences for people. For sure. That's cool. There, there's some neat innovation to happen there still. And it's fascinating. You know, I look and, and, you know, I look at a bunch of photos. If I'm, you know, if I'm shopping, I look at, I look at some photos. I like to see it. I look at the map. I like to see where it is on the map, but yeah, there's, there's, you know, you kind of know the neighborhood, but you don't really know. Like there's some, there's some interesting stuff to happen there. And I think when you're buying a whole home, Mike, yeah, it, it's, it's a little different because like, that's a big, that's a big clunky transaction. You know, it's, it's hard to like when you buy a home and then resell a home, I mean, you're talking months and months and months and lots of stress and headaches. So you really want to get that one right for sure. But one of the things that we've done at Picasso is we eliminate all those headaches. So, you know, let's say you wanted, let's say you knew you wanted to own a home in Southern California, a second home, but you couldn't justify owning it because it would be your third home now, since you have one in Tahoe, you could buy a Picasso sight unseen in wherever, you know, San Diego, uh, Orange County, whatever. And then once you get there for your first day, if for whatever reason, like something wasn't quite right, or you found another home that you liked better, we'll allow you to move into that other home. No questions asked, same day. You could sell your Picasso, quote unquote, sell your Picasso and move into another one, same day. No questions asked. Interesting. Like if I bought it, I bought it sight unseen and then I get there and I go, oops. Yep. I go, I like that one better. Yep. hundred percent transfer guarantee. Wow. Yep. Let's say, and, and, you know, let's say you bought one for 300 and then you decide you want to upgrade to one for 500. You, we just apply the 300 to your 500. Or if you bought one for 500 and then you later decide you wanted to buy one for 400, we'll refund your hundred thousand dollar difference. No questions asked same day. So we've just eliminated, you know, the hassle of buying, yeah. right? And then you start to think about how that's going to, you know, really open up possibilities beyond borders. Like, what if you wanted to own a home in Mexico? You know, it's really hard to buy a home as an American in Mexico or Europe or or wherever, or it was really hard. You know, now it's not. That that same seamless benefit. I mean, you could buy a home in Mexico with us in, you know, 30 minutes. And we've already done all the research, all the diligence. We have all the financing integrated. You'd be pre-approved, you know, same day. It's it's a very easy and seamless process. And in this environment where inventory is super constrained, like the luxury of being able to go look at 25 homes now before picking the one that you want, you know, those days are gone. And they're probably gone for forever, you know, in second home markets because there's so much more demand than supply. Even as things are cooling down right now, you know, I, I just don't see a scenario where, you know, second home markets correct at a level whereby we, we start to have a radical abundance of supply again. I just, there's-, there's Really, you don't much. see it? No, I don't. I mean, I think there's too much demand that has shifted, right? There's too many people that have flexibility now. I'm not saying things won't cool off. You know, they yeah. will, they already are, right? And as rates go up, it's likely to continue to cool off. But what I'm saying is I don't see a scenario where- supply outpaces demand in second home markets. That's really interesting. I love that view of the future. I like, I like to capture the really, the, the startling ones. That's great. So, and, and that's basically because 
We're not building very much yep. supply. We have we have a big chunk of millennials coming. We do have some boomers ready to to retire and sell. You have you looked at your demographics, like age demographics of your Picasso buyers? Yeah, it's pretty vast. I mean, I, I would say the the brackets are thirty five in the low end to uh, seventy something on the high end. But I would say the sweet spot is like early forties to mid sixties. Uh-huh. That, that's typically what we see. And the common denominators are, you know, family is a big one. You know, a lot of people have kids, either kids that are in still in the house or kids that are out of the house. And the reason why that's such a prominent, you know, attribute is because one of the main benefits of a second home is to be able to spend time with your family. Right. So a lot of people like to to enjoy the second home with their family. So that's a common denominator. Most of our buyers are, you know, nearby their primary home location, like within a few hundred miles. Some okay. People, that's some interesting. Fly. Yes. Yeah. Some people do fly. And there's some markets that obviously you have to fly, like Hawaii, but other mar- like Tahoe is very much a drive market. You know, most of the people that are buying in Tahoe are from San Francisco. Yeah. So you you see a lot of those characteristics in many of these markets. But then you have other markets, you know, like Scottsdale's a market where people come from all over. You know, California, Canada, Texas, like the Midwest, there's a really uh diverse group of feeder markets for for a place like this. And I, I'm not entirely sure what what drives that, but it's pretty easy to figure out once you get into a market. I mean, just go talk to five real estate agents and ask the question and you know, by the end of those five conversations, you'll have a pretty good feel for where people come from. Yeah, that's neat. Do you guys ever do um, like uh, city in city, like condos? Uh, yeah. So we actually have some condos in um, Miami right now. We just did a, a vertical unit in London in Mayfair, the Mayfair area, which is really cool. And we're planning to do more of it for sure. Nice. Does it uh, does it get hard in places like New York that have crazy real estate laws? Yeah, some markets are are definitely more complex than others. New York's one of them for sure. Yeah. <laughs> New York has its own orbit. Real yeah, estate. New, New York is in a in a stratosphere of its own. Awesome. So okay, so we talked about the future. What what do you think about the like the the technology, we talked a little bit about the, the consumer showing technology. You have any experience? Let's talk actually about this. Let's, let me ask you about growing the company. This is your second time around. You built Loop. You've, you've got some great partners and investors with Picasso now. You're growing fast. What can you share? You got some lessons? This, how are you doing things differently this time around? Yeah, I've got many lessons. I would say that fortunately, most of the things I wouldn't say that were necessarily doing differently we're just a bit better at it because we have more experience and history under our belt so the most important one is people you know there really aren't in my experience there really are no shortcuts or silver bullets in business meaning it's like hard work it's a struggle you know there's highs there's lows but if there is a shortcut it would be hiring great people and hiring great people is something that, you know, any great leader or, or great entrepreneur will talk about. But 
it's a difficult thing to fully appreciate how important that is until you've lived through it, you know, until you've been part of a company that had a lot of people and you felt what the magic was when you've got a bunch of super smart people who are all really passionate about the same mission and a culture that empowers people to perform at their best and do their best work. If you can create that sort of environment, you can do anything, you know, like the sky is the limit in terms of potential when you have that setup. And I would say that we were able to create that sort of environment very quickly at Picasso because many of the people, you know, we've worked with for a long time, you know, most of the people on our, like a lot of the people on our management team are people that I've known or worked with for almost 15 years in some cases and almost 10 years in all cases. And the same is true of many of the people throughout our org and even the people who, you know, we didn't work with directly in prior companies are many of them are just one or, or in some cases, two degrees separated. So there's a lot of history amongst this team and it enables, uh, and we're all super passionate about the mission. You know, we all wake up every day focused on enriching people's lives through second home ownership and making the world a better place through, through this new model. And that that's kind of the best lesson and and shortcut that I can offer. There's a few other, you know, tactical things that I would say that have definitely been a bit more refined with Picasso than they were in my first company. You know, one is finding product market fit. It took us years to find product market fit at Dotloop. And by product market fit, I mean, you've got, you know, a product that just really delivers great value for the customer and it's obvious to the customer and they're willing to pay for it. And it doesn't feel like you're pushing rope up a hill. It feels more like there's pool on the demand side. And, you know, we have more product market fit at Picasso than I could have ever imagined at this stage. It and sure seems like you've got some really big moment. Yeah. How many, how big is the team now? A lot of that's, you know, some of that's luck, by the way, I, you know, a lot of it's hard work and assembling the right team, but I think the timing has been really good too. You know, there's never been a better time to be in the second home co-ownership business. Holy moly. Yeah. Cause you launched Picasso 2018. No, 2020, 2020. Yeah. So wow. Yeah, we we Spencer and I started working on it in 2019 during my year off, but we didn't officially form the company until early 2020. Started hiring people, you know, on the team in the first quarter, and then we launched. We we operated under a stealth brand while we were trying to figure it out and get optimize product market fit. But we were ready to launch Picasso.com in October of 2020. So we're a year and a half following Picasso's launch. Wow, man, that's fast. And yes, and wow, what a what an amazing time to to launch yeah. into that space. Um, and to answer be... your question, we're three hundred people. We're about three hundred people, and we're fully remote. And we were we were fully distributed by default before the pandemic. It wasn't a a byproduct. We started fully remote. That was our intention, and it's been amazing. Our three hundred people are spread across. 35 states, six or seven countries now, and we have no headquarter office location. Everything is done remotely, which is super cool. That's cool. And it's it's really fascinating to, to design the company from the start that way. Yeah, big advantage. I think it would be much harder. I mean, I, I have a ton of respect and admiration for all the companies now that are making that transition, you know, to either remote or hybrid. 
And that's, I mean, I think that's where it has to go. It's hard for me to see a scenario where like we go back to the same level of, you know, inflexibility, you know, in the sense that you got to be in the office five or six days a week. Like those days are just gone for most industries. Yeah. Um, not all, but most. And I, I think it's much easier to start that way as opposed to making the transition. Yeah. Do you find you have uh, Picasso employees working from the Picasso they own in some? Yeah. You know, some... I mean, I am right now. I, I'm working from my Picasso right now. And uh, it's, it's pretty common. And not just Picasso crew members, but all of our owners. I mean, many, many of our owners are working remote. Like people aren't vacationing at the Picasso. You know, it's not like when you, when you, I mean, you know, you're, you're a second homeowner. When you go to your second home, are you on vacation? Do you tell people that you're on vacation? No, nope. you're, right. You're just at your home. You've got a different group of friends. You've got your restaurants, you support your trails that you mountain bike on. Like you're part of that community. You know, yeah. you, you have a second life and that's how our owners are too. They're not vacationing at their homes. They're, they're simply living at their second home. They just happen to be living at their second home for, you know, less than all of the year, you know, six weeks, eight weeks, you know, 12 weeks, depending on the situation, but they're not vacationers. They're, they're living at their home. And most of the time, most people work. So oftentimes they're working from their, their Picasso for sure. Amazing. Well, let's wrap it up here. Picasso, P-A-C-A-S-O. Nailed it. And Picasso.com. Where should they find you? Where should our listeners find and follow you? You can find me on Twitter. So G Austin Allison is my, my handle. My first name is actually Gregory. So that's where the G comes from. G Austin Allison. And you know, that's pretty much that's a great place. Where I, Connect. Yeah, Excellent. Pretty much where I hang out uh, online. Excellent. All right. Well, Austin, thank you so much for your time today. It was a great conversation. Really interested in, in the work you're doing. And I appreciate your insights about the future and the innovation that you're doing. So thank you so much. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Awesome. And everybody, this is the Top of Mind podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Subscribe, do all the things. Uh, Go to altosresearch.com to connect on the data, to find more episodes of the Top of Mind podcast. All right, everybody, we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to Top of Mind. See you again next time and be sure to click subscribe to get future episodes.